Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. It's Gary Stuckey back once again for another exciting episode of Real Music right here on Anchor.fm. And I've got a special guest that you might have heard of. His name is Corey Feldman. That's right. You heard me right. So excited to be talking to Corey. He's got a brand new box set coming out. It's coming out tomorrow. And you heard it first right here on this podcast. So get excited. Go check it out. He's only got 500 copies available. So you might want to jump on that. It's called Love Left 2.1. And uh, it's it's got some great songs on there. I've been listening to them and uh, they're really great. They're funky and there's a lot of rock songs on there. A lot of guitar and Corey does a great job. I mean, if you loved his movies, you're going to love his music. And we talk about the music and his films. And his friend Corey Haim, the late, great Corey Haim. And uh, so much more. And I'd like to dedicate this podcast to my late, great friend, Joseph Madden, who was a big Goonies fan. And he would have been excited to know that I was talking to Corey. So here we go. Here's Corey Feldman. Hello, this is Gary. Hi, Gary. This is Corey Feldman calling. Corey Feldman. No way. It can't be Corey. <laughs> yes, sir. How are you? Doing good, man. What's going on with you? Good, good. Just shipping out boxes and, you know, getting ready for our uh, launch in two days here. So, uh, yeah. Good times. That's right. Good times. Yeah. Wednesday is the day, right? You've been waiting for Wednesday's this. Wednesday is the day. Almost. That's right. My God. A few delays here, a few delays, you know, more <laughs> than we expected. Yeah. I mean, a lot of delays, obviously, given COVID, you know, it's, yeah. it's impossible to do anything. I'm still, I'm still not 100%. We're even having our party on Wednesday because I have to make oh, sure wow. that, you know, there's going to be enough people that can actually attend because, everybody's got COVID in the world right oh, now, yeah. it seems like. And it's just such a risky thing to set up anything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like, it you know, you, you plan stuff, you know, months and months in advance and then it gets pushed or it gets rescheduled or it gets canceled and then you got to reset it and then right. you do it again. And then it's just this constant tug and, and pull of, of, you know, resources and, right. and time and energy. And it just gets so frustrating for everybody. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're in a difficult place and a different, a difficult time in this, in this reality and in this society right now. And I think we're all just kind of trying to strap up our bootstraps and be yeah. big kids and figure out how we hang on. <laughs> that's, that's how you said it, man. Um, well, it's, it's a box set, right? It's called love left to arm me with love. Right. So a box set. Well, Right. The box set is called Love Left 2.1. Okay. And within the box set is my brand new album, Love Left 2, oh, Army okay. with Love. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so the, just so you're clear on that. And then, um, and then, yeah, so what the box set is, just as an overall view, is really it's a remix, remaster box set, right? So it's okay. all about, you know, the Love Left album, which is kind of the quintessential, you know, early 90s first concept solo album you know of my career right. um which you know came out in 93 but the whole point of this is that i started recording music in 1986 okay uh, a lot of people were unaware of that at the time because i didn't release it you right, know right. uh i didn't release anything until 1989 and that was my first release and that was only a vinyl single which you know came out 
with the film soundtrack for Dream a Little Dream, and it was actually the first promotional single off the soundtrack album. Um, However, it was not included in the actual soundtrack album. So even though it came out under the label and it came out, you know, on the, the opposite side of another song from the soundtrack album, it didn't make it onto the album because it was delivered, I guess, like a day late. So we never actually had the song, something in your eyes on the soundtrack album or in the film, but it was still released under the same distribution and with the album package. So, that was the very first song. And then after that, um, we didn't put out anything else. Really. There was a couple things like what's up with the youth, which became this kind of pop culture hit, which I performed in a couple places, uh, you know, most notably Howard Stern, right. uh, because that's where it became very famous. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then another song, which I was supposed to release as a single, which we never released as a single, but I went and performed on much music in Canada called honesty. And that's another one. It became this viral kind of clip on YouTube, but all of these songs kind of came out here and there. And then in between all of that, there was these film soundtracks like rock and roll high school forever. Yeah. And, Dream a Little Dream, Dream a Little Dream 2, National Lampoon's Last Resort. So there were all these movies that I was putting out music for that each one of them, when I made the deal, said, oh, don't worry, you'll be on the soundtrack album. Henceforth, we didn't put the songs out in any other format because they were all supposed to be part of those albums. And then for one reason or another, those films didn't put out soundtrack albums. So what ended up happening is all this stuff just kind of kept collecting through the years, right? (laughs) So eventually... When we decided to do this project, you know, the very first thing was, oh, you know, this album's 25 years old. It would be great because, you know, in the beginning, when we first put it out, we couldn't give it away. You know, literally, I sat on those first thousand CDs for over a decade. I mean, literally, the very first, you know, ones we were literally handing them out because there was really no internet in those days you know in 1993 the internet was just being born and there was no marketing tools there was no itunes there was no way to get your music out there to the world if you didn't have a big label deal so we were this tiny little independent company trying to put out an album and nobody knew about it we really didn't have any way to publicize it you know that was during a lull in my career between the eighties and nineties where I was trying to reestablish myself after right. everything I went through right. and I wasn't getting a lot of press. So it was very hard for me to get press. It was very hard for me to get the word out. And basically nobody knew about it unless, you know, I happened to do a concert or I happened to do an appearance where I would sell a few at the shows. So it was a very slow process to get the word out about that album. And then you know, thanks to YouTube, thanks to iTunes, digital releases years later and stuff like that, all of a sudden they started, you know, selling left and right. right. And then next thing you know, it went from like, hey, we can't get rid of these things to they're gone and now they're <laughs> out of print, right. you know. And so it became very quickly like, OK, I'm going to have to either reprint that album, which, to, to be honest, wasn't a well thought out album. It was something that was thrown together because a friend of mine you know, who was producing movies that I was in at the time, saw that I was struggling as an independent artist and said, hey, I'm going to create a label just to get your album finished and to get it out and throw together whatever tracks you have ready to go and let's do this. You know, it was kind of like a really quick decision, not well planned, not well thought out, which is why, you know, there was never any lyrics in the original album artwork. There was never really many liner notes. It was a two-page, you know, kind of folded 
paper that went inside it as the cover mm-hmm. and the inside. So it was just sloppy. And so I thought, you know, we I don't want to reprint that because it seems pointless. You know, why spend a bunch of money reprinting something that's really not that great when the songs themselves are pretty cool and they have great historical value now for the cult base of my fans. Mm -hmm. So why not turn that into a better project? So what we decided to do was go back and try and salvage some of those master tapes. So I found all the master tapes that we originally recorded this stuff on. And I said, well, what do you do with this in this day and age? You know, it's not like any recording studio you go to has got a tape machine sitting in the corner. You know, they just don't, they don't (laughs) Don't do do that anymore. anymore. Right. So uh, I happen to be, you know, with a friend of mine who happens to be friends with Don Dawkin. Cool. And Don and I were sitting and talking and he says, yeah, I'm working on this great, you know, collection. I'm like, you know, redoing all of my early stuff and it's going to be called the lost tapes. And we're literally taking the tapes from my early recordings. We're baking them and then we're remixing them and putting them back out as brand new stuff. And I was like, well, there you go. How do you do that? Like, what's the process? How do I get in on this? And he said, well, it is a process and it's a very tedious process and one that is not guaranteed to work. It's a it's a crapshoot because basically what you're doing is you're taking these 25 year old tapes, you know, basically essentially lost their magnets. And not only that, but especially my stuff had been sitting in a dank dark garage you know on and off through the years where there had been everything from floods to rats to you know you name it and this stuff had gotten water damage mold i mean all kinds of problems so we had to go through this very arduous process of meticulously cleaning these tapes first of all chemical treatments you know going through each inch of these you know whatever they are 25 or 50 feet worth of tape you know i don't even know how many feet are in these things but they're they're obviously quite long you know uh and they go by inch by inch by inch to clean all the bad stuff off then you put it through the baking process and then you hope that you get all the magnets back in place where they belong. And then you've got one shot to run it through the tape machine. Again, you have to, first of all, find the tape machine. (laughs) Somebody's got a tape machine to run it on. (laughs) Then you run it and then you transfer it to digital. And then once you've got it in digital format, then you get to start from scratch and remix it as if it's day one. So that's basically what it took just to get to the point of having these songs. Once we got into that process and Don, God bless him, got all of this done for us yeah. with his people. And once we got that stuff done and we got it all digitized, then it was like, okay, now, whoa, what's this song? What's that song? Oh, right. I remember this. Here's a demo of, you know, my first song. It's so simple that we, you know, used on uh we used on a TV after school special that I did with Drew Barrymore and Tatum O'Neill called 15 and getting straight. And we all sang the song. It's so simple. Yeah. It was one of the very first ones I wrote, cool. but you know, we ended up putting it on the first album, but it was a very different version. And we have all these early versions of it. Well, wouldn't it be great for people to hear that yeah. or, Hey, look at these songs. Like, you know, that ended up in rock and roll high school forever, but it wasn't this version of the song. It was like some cheesy, you know, 80s Euro pop version that we reproduced and created for that soundtrack. But that soundtrack wasn't released. The song was never released. And I've had so many people through the years saying, are you ever going to release the music from rock and roll high school? Are you ever going to release that music? So it's like, okay, 
here's a chance for people to hear the original music that inspired that music, yeah. you know, and the song that they remember. Obviously, it's a little bit different because it's a different version of it, but it's still the song they remember. Yeah. So things like that where I thought, you know, there's something here. I think that there's probably a lot of fans out there that would be really excited to have this. Sure. stuff. So that was kind of what started us on the journey. And then as we went along, it just kind of kept building, looking through old cassette tapes, looking through dat tapes, you know, all these <laughs> different various formats that, you know, kind of came out and then went between 86 and 95. I mean, it was a lot of stuff going on, a lot of fluidity in the, right. you know, the, the process of going from uh, analog to digital. So through that process we found what now is you know our lost lost songs disc i guess you would call it it's called love lost and there's 18 songs on that disc alone that have either never been heard or never been released or you know we're on a film soundtrack or we're you know in a video somewhere but nobody has ever had the ability to own that song and certainly not a crisp clean freshly mixed version of the song so yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's a curator's dream, I guess you would say, uh, going through all this kind of stuff and, and probably a producer's nightmare to try and refurbish it. But we, we somehow have managed to pull it off and I think pretty well, and I'm very pleased with the results. Yeah. So it's an exciting project, but yes, it's been a, a tedious uh, task at best. Well, that's that's going to make all the fans appreciate everything that you're doing, right? Because you went through a lot of trouble for this, right? We hope so. We hope <laughs> so. Kind of, and, you yeah. know, and the thing is, like, you know, it happened during the lockdown. It happened during the quarantine where, you know, a lot of people said, well, what did you do? Were you just sitting around? I mean, <laughs> you know, you were silent or you were dark or we didn't hear from you. And it's like, well, oh, I was working. We were working <laughs> the whole time. You know, not just that, but we produced an entire new album of music because the new album has got like 18 songs on it, you know? So uh, not only were we refurbishing and remixing and remastering all this old stuff, but we were also creating brand new stuff, which obviously is very difficult during a pandemic because you can't get musicians into your studio. So, uh, you know, uh, we did everything from remote work to, you know, at a certain point we were locked out of the country and we were locked out of the country for about 10 months, you know, wow. after Trump shut the borders and wow. uh, there was all that stuff that went on with with, you know, the pandemic. So we ended up locked out of the country. And what I was doing was basically shipping little parts of my studio over bit by bit as we could until i basically got a full running studio in the place where we were stuck you know in the which at the time was jamaica like we'd gone from you know a couple different places we were in the caribbean on a vacation at the time that the lockdown happened and then we were like kind of basically running from place to place you know on boats and and you know staying on people's floors and whatever it took to kind of get through the pandemic being an outcast in another country in a third world country nonetheless uh during a very dangerous time so uh it was a big adventure um and through that big adventure we recorded you know what i think three or four songs uh outside of the u.s and then uh you know came back and and you know we had some stuff some demos that we'd been working on before the lockdown and we were able to kind of get those back up and running and work on those and then just like the whole process of of recording this stuff, which, you know, we have like a drummer who, you know, was on COVID lockdown and got COVID twice during Mm. this process who lives in South Africa. And we're sending him, you know, 
stems and and files and stuff like that over to South Africa and then he'd play on it and then send it back to us. Or, you know, we'd have even musicians here in Los Angeles and and old producers and people that I worked with digging through their vaults and their warehouses and their whatever to try and find us unreleased material that's never been heard or found. Um, So, I mean, it's just, we've had so many people kind of putting their efforts together and then yet not really working together in many cases, yeah, like, you know, right. because it's all done remotely. That's right. Um, yeah. So it's just been a, a really crazy process to get all of this together. And I'm really grateful that it's done. And and so is my main engineer and, and co-producer, uh, Greg, who is a, a multi-instrumentalist, uh, super talented Ooh. genius and uh and and great guy all around but you know he's the one who's really had to do the lion's share of it because he had to mix what's i don't know somewhere around 60 songs yeah wow. you know wow. and that's not even including all of the the video content and then when you get into the video content and the magazine that we put together which is full of unreleased photographs oh, wow. never before seen material yeah. all the lyrics we had to you know figure out what the hell i'm saying in some of these <laughs> tapes where you can barely even you know hear the audio because it's so garbled and you're trying to decipher like what is that what's that word (laughs) so you know god bless you know jake who is the the kind of the overall curator of the box set because he's the one that really put the magazine together with all the liner notes and all the lyrics and uh he directed the documentary there's a brand new documentary which is in the box set And then once we got to that point, then we were able to start getting into more of the technical side and and advancements in technology and and pioneering these new ideas like having a hologram pop out on top of the box, which is, I believe, something no other artist has ever done in history. So, you know, we got to be the first. And I'm sure it will be the first of many. I'm sure we won't be the only ones to do it. But, yeah. yeah. That's cool, man. Wow. Uh and you've got a wide variety of styles on this these new songs. I've been listening to a lot of them. You got some rock and roll and funky music and things like that, right? Yes, there is a wide array of styles. So, I mean, I don't know if you ever heard the original Love Left album. I, I haven't uh, heard it, but yeah, but I I'm, I'm imagining you had kind of some similar songs back in the day, right? Well, so basically the original Love Left album was, like I said, thrown together kind of at the last minute. So, you know, when it came to style, I was all over the place because I'd always been all over the place. But <laughs> uh, but my, you know, my original stuff, as you can see quite evidently and clearly by my first music video and the first song I ever wrote and recorded, which is called Runaway, yeah, which was when I was 15 years old. Right. And you can see that there's obviously a very pop sensibility and, you know, a Michael Jackson thing going yeah, on. and. Yeah. You know, and there's those similarities, right? So <laughs> that was where my writing style started. That was where I began. But very quickly, uh, I moved into this kind of psychedelic rock thing where, yeah. you know, I, I had kind of in that moment started really listening to the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and kind of getting into these old classics which started shifting and shaping the way that I was writing and the way that I processed you know, the idea of music. So there was this kind of duality because on part of it, it's like very pop and very dance. And then there's this other half of it, which is like a solid blues rock thing. And so like, you know, literally half the album is 
this blues rock album, which is some really good stuff. I mean, we got, you know, Lita Ford in there playing some sensational lead guitars when she was literally at the apex of her young career. Um, You know, right after or right around the time that she put out that single with Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, it was right in that pocket. And uh, and so we we grabbed her as a complete fluke on a song that happened to be called Lethal Lolita. And it wasn't planned that way. I mean, it just literally <laughs> cool. fell together. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that, where you've got, you know, one of the great hard rock guitarists in the world, you know, playing some sensational stuff. And then you've got, you know, the flip side of it, which is like, you know, one of the things that's talked about in the documentary is uh, one of the guys who, who played on, on one of the tracks is a guy named Dean Pleasance, who was the uh, lead guitarist for Suicidal Tendencies. Okay. And, you know, he comes along to do a session and it's like this song that ended up in Dream a Little Dream 2 called Feeling Funky, which is, you know, very dance. It's very, you know, I wouldn't say it's MJ influence. I'd say if anything, it's more kind of on the Prince side yeah. of sensibility, um, kind of like a mix of like Prince and George Michael kind of sound. Right. Um, so it's like we had a couple of these really strong dance songs. And again, they just kind of happened the way they happened. Like for that one, it was, you know, I was working on the movie and they said, we want another dance sequence for the movie. And we want a song that goes along with the dance sequence. And I thought, okay, well, let me come up with something. And we wrote something I could dance to. And that right. became feeling funky. So um, when Dean Pleasance came in to, to play on it, uh, he was like, and I think it's Pleasant, not Pleasance. Let me, let me say that right. <laughs> Dean Pleasant. Um, but, but when, you know, he, he, he said, you know, look, I came in to play this stuff and, you know, Corey knew exactly what he wanted and it was real funky stuff, you know, and, and who would have thought, right? right? So, you know, you've got something like that where, you know, and he says, you know, and then, the, then there's this other guy that's interviewed in the documentary named Luke, who was my bass player in the first band that I put together. And he's like, you know, I got really excited when I walked into the session, you know, for I think it was depressed. And I saw uh, Hunt Sales sitting at the drum set. And Hunt Sales is like one of my heroes because he played in David Bowie's Tim Machine. Oh, and I knew this guy cool. is like a complete genius. Yeah. So when I saw him sitting at the drum set, I knew we were going to be in really good shape, you know? (laughs) So there's a lot of amazing, incredible artists that I was able to gather for the first album for love left, which a lot of people didn't understand. And because of the great array of artists, obviously there's a lot of different directions and styles that that album goes in. So when we sat down and thought, okay, what would a sequel to that album look like? You know, uh, given the fact that the first one was all over the map and there was only nine songs on it. That's the other thing is it was, you know, kind of a short album, you know, in the the greater scope of albums. Um, So it was like, okay, well, how do we kind of emulate that kind of variety of choice? But then also at the same time, make sure everything kind of fits together. So that's what we did is we went back in and, and kind of created you know, an album with with a lot of those same types of sensibilities where there's a lot of blues rock stuff that's really solid blues rock sounding songs. And then there's some harder rock songs and then there's some dance and pop type songs. But then, of course, we went even further and we've got a reggae song on this album. We've got, um, you know, a a very good kind of psychedelic rock song. That's a, that's a tribute to a friend of mine who we lost during the process of making the album. 
Um, so I dedicated that song to him. And, you know, just it, it, again, it's it's a little bit all over the map. But I think that each kind of entry has its place yeah. and it helps tell a story. And that's really what I'm interested in as an artist. I like, you know, I like the idea of concept albums and taking people through some sort of a story. Right. So even on the first one, as disjointed as it is, it's a story in three parts. You know, the first three songs uh, certainly tell a story. Uh, and it's like, you know, this is all about love and it's all about relationships and, you know, how, um, you know, you go into a relationship looking for this perfect thing that doesn't really exist, but it's only in our minds. And right. then, you know, then you find out it's not what you thought it was and she rips your heart out. And then it's about moving on from there, you know, which is the third song walk. It's like, okay, now we've got to move on. So, right. you know, when you start to break it down, you can realize that, okay, they're, this is like a play i mean there's really three sections of songs that have you know little stories to them and all together it tells one story and then we kind of wanted to recreate that so that's kind of what we did with this and if you follow every you know lyric and you really look into the artwork and you really look into the the through line of the lyrics you see that it really does tell a story yeah wow and I've been listening to some of the songs. The uh, you were talking about the feeling funky and the, uh, the beautiful soul. The beautiful soul yes, sounds that's... like uh, John Lennon or something with psychedelic sounds. And, oh, thank you. Yeah, yes, it's really that's good. What I was talking about that. Yeah. you know, a bit psychedelic and written to that's... my friend who who we lost. Yes, really good job. And uh, without you thank is you. a cool song. I mean, I, I I was enjoying it last night. I was jamming and uh, really good. I mean, in the lyrics really deep lyrics like what's uh you are free what's what's that song all about so you are free uh is one of the few songs on this album that wasn't necessarily created for the purpose of this album okay. it was created as the soundtrack uh main title song for my documentary that i put out in 2020 okay so cool. the the my truth film the documentary about what happened to myself and Corey Haim as children in the industry um obviously it was a, a very sensational moment in time we put out that movie it was a big premiere and then the movie got hacked oh, wow. so unfortunately mm. you know not nearly as many people saw it as i would have liked to have seen it but that said we put the single out uh alongside it expecting that we would have a regular release for the for the film and then you know as things go usually you know the film builds momentum and then you have a hit single that kind of goes along with it and you're in good shape so unfortunately the film got hacked and pirated and didn't have you know nearly the success we thought it would but the single itself ended up making the top 20 charts wow, uh good. the indicator charts anyway in billboard which was a pretty big deal for yeah. us considering that was my first top 20 hit Awesome. So uh, that song is dedicated to Corey Haim, and it's a it's basically a private message to him saying, you know, I finally done what you asked me to do, and I, I'm sorry that I didn't do it a lot sooner, and I wish that I could have done it back when you first told me this story. If I would have had the the wherewithal or or the knowledge of what I know now, things probably would have gone a lot differently. Yeah. So that's what that that's what that song is about. Yeah. Well. Do you think that music helps uh, heal you? Is, I mean, is that what do you think it does for you? Absolutely. You know, Consider what you've been through. Absolutely, yeah. a cathartic process. Yeah, I figured, you know. I mean, yeah. first of all, just being able to write some of that stuff down, 
you know, those are your innermost feelings. You know what I mean? These are things that <clears throat> like beautiful soul, I think is a perfect example because I wrote it the night I got the call that my friend had shot himself, mm. you know, and, and, you know, he was like 24 or 25 years old. He was a young kid, oh, you know, and you just sit there and you go, why, why mm. such an incredible, beautiful person that, you know, was so tormented, but, but had so much love in his heart and, and, and such a great, beautiful soul i mean there's really no better way to say it than that you know and and that's what inspired me to write that song and and i think it's it's one of those moments that if i hadn't been so so struck with pain and grief i'm sure it would have never come out of me but the moment inspired the writing and the writing became you know everything i was feeling at that time so um, yes, I, I, I definitely delve deep into my personal kind of attic and sweep the cobwebs out with my pen. Right. And and do you think about reaching out to people? I know, considering what, like you said, what you've been through and things like that. You know, you can reach people through music and with the songs. Aren't you hoping to reach people out there that are listening to these songs and kind of say, "Hey, I've been there." And they can kind of relate to yeah, what you're going through, right? Absolutely. Well, I think it's a, it's listen. Music is is meant to lift us to a higher plane, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, that is the purpose of it, and that's to me. I when I hear this stuff where it's like you know gang banging and yeah. you know got my 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 bling and I got my forty ounces and I got my you know <laughs> my guns and my bitches and all that right. kind of stuff. I just don't relate. I right. don't understand yeah. that. Yeah. To me, that's not music, and I don't mean to insult any genre. Right or any type of writing because obviously each person has got to write their experience you know and as long as it comes from the heart or if it comes from from a real place then that's awesome and i i certainly applaud it but when it comes to hey let's write a bunch of trash that doesn't really mean anything and it's just about ego and it's about self-serving and what does that say to the listener that's right you know how are you bringing them on a journey how are you um how are you sympathizing with them or recognizing something within them? I don't feel that you are. I feel it's a miss. So to me, if you have, you know, we have very few opportunities in this world to create art that connects with people on a deeper level. You know, we can all create anything we want and put it out there, but to actually connect with somebody and get them in a place where they go, wow, that helped me in some way. Either it inspired me to feel better or it put me in a positive mood or maybe it was even something that caused some deep reflection that I might not have, you know, found or I might not have had the, the vehicle or the Avenue to get there had I not been inspired through that music. And that's happened to me certainly with listening to other artists throughout my life. I mean, how many times have you been depressed and you put on a certain song and it changes your mood or, you know, you're 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 scared or you're frustrated you go man i just don't want to think about the world right now and then you put on some other music that just makes you forget everything or you know there's it's just there's ways that music speaks to us and 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 hits us directly in the soul that i don't think any other form of communication does and that is why i respect it so much and that is why i I, I try my best to tap into that common thread that we can all relate to. Right. Um, yeah. And I want to make as, you know, I want my music to be artistic and interesting, obviously, you know, with a kaleidoscope of, of colors. But at the same time, I also want to make sure that the lyrics are, are very 
you know, human and very based in reality and something that we can all connect with because I think we need it now more than ever. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you've got uh, Curtis Young helping you out on this uh, this album? That's right. Yeah, That's cool. right. It's his breakout performance. Cool. I mean, he's put out a single or two, a few singles, uh, but he hasn't put out an album yet. So I feel very lucky to have him at such an early stage of his career. I, I see huge things coming from him in the future. And he's a very, very talented guy, super nice guy, yes. amazingly cool guy. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to meet him. I or, haven't, but or, I, I, it, the song is great, by the way. I was, I was thinking, man, that this might be a, a big hit. I mean, it's a really good song, you. man. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate that. And from your lips to God's ears, hey, you know, we're working on the, <laughs> working on the release schedule for it right now, actually trying to get the single lined up and released finally, because it was supposed to come out before the holidays. And, you know, and then it was like the, the, the distributors didn't want to put anything out, you know, that wasn't Christmas related until yeah. after January. And so it, it's very hard. You know, <laughs> if we would have put it out in the summer when it was originally intended, I think it would have been a lot easier. But because, you know, between the holidays and then this giant wave of COVID hitting everybody, yeah. you know, it's kind of knocked us all for a loop. No, nobody was was kind of prepared for it or expecting it. Right. So sure. uh, that's where we are, unfortunately. But I do agree. I think that once it gets out there, people are going to react very positively. And I know that because we put together this little um, preview based on an interview I did uh, with this thing that's called the Life Minute. And uh, this wonderful writer who I did a kind of a, a Zoom interview with, you know, she edited it together and she said, do you have any music I can put in the background? So I said, well, why not? Let's just tease the new single by putting it behind it. Right. And even though it's only like 15 or 20 seconds of the song, immediately everybody was commenting like, oh, what's that song? Come back, King. What's that? That's really it's good. Cool. It's, you really, know? it's really good. So, I'm, I'm telling you. That, I mean, thank you. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm going to throw that out there, man. It's a. It's going to do something. I'm just going to tell you. Um, I hope you're right, man. I hope you're right. So we're also in the process of trying to get a video together for oh, that cool. as well. Um, but, you know, again, with, you know, trying to shoot a video right now, it's so difficult, oh, yeah. you know, uh, because of everybody's sick. And I mean, we just went through COVID again, third time, me oh, and my geez. wife. Man. So we got better just in time for this party in two days. But now I'm hoping that other people are able to attend the party because I mean, like, literally everybody I know has got COVID. Like, my whole oh, family man. got COVID. Everybody. My uncle, my cousins, my brothers and sisters, like, everybody. Oh, so, it's just, it's a scary time. It's an uncertain time and very hard time to, to, to produce mm. content and get it out there. And then certainly to throw any type of event to celebrate it. It's just, it's very tricky. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, th I'm, Thank you. I'm excited for you. And, uh. But hey, let me jump on to something. Since I've got the one and only Corey Feldman, I just want to. You got it, brother. Hey, love your movies. You know, of course. Hey, I've I've listened to you since you were the voice of Copper in Oh Wow. Fox and I watched a long that. Time. I was. You're, you're you, showing your age, my friend. <laughs> was, hey, you you've got me by I think about three years, but uh, you were born okay. in seventy one, right? Seventy one. I think so. You're twenty. You're twenty two as well. Twenty two. That's exactly right. You, yes, you, you nailed it, my friend. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's let's see. Friday the Thirteenth. So cool, right? Gremlins, uh, the Goonies, and by the way, one of my best friends got killed years ago, but his favorite movie was the Goonies, and he would be so happy that I was talking to you. And uh, 
Oh, oh man. Well, God bless. I'm sorry for your loss. Thanks, That's, man. Uh, it, he sad. he just man the Goonies. Who who growing up in the '80s did not love the Goonies and want to get a map and find this treasure? You know, just all that. Such a good movie, right? right? And uh, right. and uh, well, listen, I know, feel very blessed to have been a part of of things like that. Obviously. You know, it's a different world, and it and it was a different time. And for me, um, you know, it's a different perspective because uh, you know, it's 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 one of both pride but also frustration in the sense that um, I I wasn't I wasn't so aware of of my choices, and I wasn't you know so aware of how lucky I was to be part of such things. Because to me, it was just another job. Yeah. You know, I was working so much and so regularly on so many things that it was just another job. It was, I mean, I was excited about it, obviously. I was happy to be there. I loved the experience. But, you know, and, and I'm sure somewhere we all knew that this movie would live on and that it would have a legacy. Uh, but we never knew that it would become what it's become as one of the great family films of all time, you know, and, and, and the biggest title in Warner brothers entire catalog when it comes to family films, which is shocking to me because they have wizard of Oz and, uh, and, uh, 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 Willy Wonka, you know, in their lineup. I mean, obviously wizard of Oz is MGM, but I think somehow they ended up with the distribution or I don't know what happened there, but the bottom line is, you know, to have a film like Goonies stand out amongst those, is is pretty impressive uh so uh those were my you know my childhood you know growing up i used to love willy wonka and and wizard of oz and i remember thinking when we were making goonies this is going to be like a willy wonka for the future i think i even said that in certain interviews if you go back where i was like yeah this will be the willy wonka of a future generation i agree and uh and that's what it became well um and and another thing i want to mention another movie um the burbs Right, I, yes. the the character you play, how close was that to the real you? I'm just I'm just wondering. Not at all. I mean, honestly, <laughs> not at all. Uh, okay. Darn. No, I'm just. You know, no, I mean, it was fun. not to say I never Funny, smoked though. weed or I was never a stoner <laughs> kid because I, I definitely was that. Right. But you know, um, maybe on my worst day, uh, I, I represented something like Ricky Butler, but not on the norm. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Uh, I was a businessman by the time I was 10 years old. I was writing my own contracts, reading my own contracts, you know what I mean? Changing, making, making notations and and changes to contracts literally by 12 years old. Uh, By 15 years old, I was completely doing my own business because, you know, both of my parents who had been my managers to that point were out of the picture. Mm. So by license to drive, I was entirely engaged in doing my own deals and, you know, running the entire business. So I'd been running my own business since that time. So, you know, um, it it was a little bit different for me. I was, I was, I guess I had more uh, wherewithal than most kids. So to dumb it down and play a character like Ricky Butler (laughs) obviously was, you know, just that a a character, but um, you know, I, in some ways I regret that because if you look at kind of all those characters, they're as iconic as they are, but you look at, you know, mouth from, from Goonies and you look at Teddy from stand by me and you look yeah. at Edgar from lost boys and you look at, you know, Ricky from the burbs. And then all these other characters that I played alongside it, like rock and roll high school forever yeah. or whatever. I mean, they were always this kind of funny, relatable, likable guy, but they were always kind of an a-hole, 
you know, <laughs> and then, you know, when I turned 19 or 20 or whatever it was, and I got sober, because I was, you know, I, 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 I was having, you know, growing pains, I guess you would call it, yeah. and, and certainly brought on by the bad influences in my life. I was basically under the care, I guess you would say, from even though I, I was technically on my own, you know, my father had put this person into my life that was supposed to be my assistant and supposed to be my um, chaperone, I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, and and he became the guy that was with me every day. Well, that guy was feeding me drugs. Oh, wow. And so, you know, he mm. fed me drugs from 15 to 17 and a half when I finally got away from him. And once I went, you know, I got away from him, I went to rehab and then I came out and my life was completely different and completely changed my perspective on everything. And that was by, you know, 18 and a half, 19 years old. By 1990, I was sober. So I went in in 1989 after I got arrested and then, you know, got sober by, you know, the end of 89 or the beginning of 90, somewhere in there. Um, and by the time I got out of rehab at the end of that year, I think it was around September, October, I finally completed Cry Help in 1990. And uh, and I had a very different perspective and a very different view of life. So, um, you know, coming from there, it was like, oh, my God, now I've got to reinvent everything. You know, I've got to mm -hmm. start from scratch and show people that I'm serious and show people that I'm dedicated and, you know, where I'm at mentally and all of this stuff. So I didn't know what was next. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't know if my career would go on. And, and one of the things that I kind of regretted was the fact that people don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, they know me as this this fictional version of me, which is this very loudmouth, outspoken kind of bratty kid. Right. And I'm none of those things. <laughs> you know, right. I'm a very quiet shy introverted dude yeah. who who likes to sit in the corner like i would go to you know parties in you know 1991 1992 1993 and you know i would be the guy sitting in the corner i would go to a nightclub and i'd be the guy sitting at a booth in the corner i wasn't out there macking on girls and being mr bravado and being mr cool and people did not understand it they were very confused they were like who is this guy? Right, <laughs> you know, right. I thought we were inviting Corey Feldman to the party. I didn't think we were inviting Mr. Rogers and, <laughs> and, and people just didn't understand that. Like, first of all, one of the big things is for decades. And I mean, decades, people tried to label me as a cokehead, oh, and man. they tried to label me as like, you know, a drinker, which obviously if you look at a character like Ricky Butler, you're going to assume that, this guy does drugs and drinks alcohol, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. and, and in fact, at the time I did, right. but I was at the very tail end of that. And right after rock and roll high school, I'm sorry, right after the burbs, uh, I did rock and roll high school and rock and roll high school was the last film that I did before I went into rehab. <laughs> so wow. I was like, you know, really at the tail end of my kind of torturous development phase and then went into my like you know self-healing and self-love and all that kind of stuff right after it so by the time i came out of rehab in 90 and you know was you know looking towards the future i realized that i had a lot of repair work to do to like people to let people in and let them see who i really was so that they would be a bit more forgiving because it's really easy to kind of blow off the narcissistic punk kid that you think I am 
But then when you find out that actually, no, there's this kind of sweet, somber guy in there that actually does care and actually does have a good heart and is not the egotistical brat that we've kind of grown up believing he is on the screen. And that was really a hard thing to get over, you know, was to, to, to make people see me who, for who I was, as opposed to these characters that I portrayed one after another with all these similar traits. Sure. Well, you know, back in the day, talking about back in the day though, when I was, you know, teenager, late eighties, you know, I had all the posters, you know, the teen bop magazines. I was, I had the Debbie Gibson posters and I was putting Debbie Gibson on the wall, but on the back, of of course. And on the back though, it was you and Corey (laughs) and, uh, Jason Bateman. What you're trying to say is Corey and I had a lot of wall time. You, Hey, don't tell anybody I had you and Corey on my wall. But it was just facing well, the wall. Well, yes, on your wall, but staring at your wall. Staring, yeah, staring. Debbie Gibson was staring at me, man. Come on. I, I had to, so we, had were to make like, a... we were like the dunce kids in the class that had to sit in the corner and stare at the wall That's all right. day. Well, you were, Forgive... you know, thinking fantasy oh, thoughts man. about Debbie Gibson. Hey, don't tell I got you. Don't tell anybody. Hey, <laughs> forgive me. I, I've been waiting no, all no, these years. I understand. The... No, but, but speaking of – but. Corey, you know, and and I know that y'all y'all had some times together and, and things like that. Do, does he pass by your mind a lot? Do you think about you know? every single day? Mm. Every single day. Wow. There is not a day that passes in my lifetime that I do not think or feel or you know wish that he was still here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on, on, on so many multitudes of, of levels and for so many reasons. I mean, obviously, one of those being that I could have never predicted that after he was gone, his mom would go completely AWOL and, you know, decide to blame mm. every problem in their lives on me, mm. uh, which is exactly what's happened. Um, she kind of made me the, the scapegoat for every mistake she ever made in parenting. Mm. And sadly, um, you know, has kind of built this opposition against me telling the truth um, and getting the story out, which is something he asked me to do. And and when you talk about regrets, I would say the biggest regret that I ever had or have is the fact that the day that he made me promise to tell his story, that I didn't ask him to put it down in writing, Mm -hmm. because if I had done that this whole thing would have rolled out differently. Right. Like it would have never been this way, you know, uh, it would have been really easy to show really easy to, to say, here it is. This is what he asked me to do. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm honoring his wishes, but because I didn't have that forethought and who would, because at the time, of course, I didn't think he was going to die, you know, um, in my mind, he was going to, you know, get through this and he was going to be fine and he was already on the healing side of things and you know and that's what our break was about we took this break after the two quarries and it was like let's take a year off you know to try and heal and my hope was that when i saw him again he'd be kind of reinvigorated and better and he was that's the kicker Mm -hmm. he was you know he had taken the, the year off seriously he had been taking care of his mom and he was doing good things and it was so just out of nowhere and so tragic. So yeah, that is my biggest regret is that, um, you know, I never got him to put in writing what his, what his wishes were. Um, 
and you know and then beyond that it's just you know look we all make mistakes and even though you're a kid you know you look back at it and say well i could have i could have made this choice differently or i could have you know not not done this or not done that you know that he requested me to do or whatever you know could i have been a better friend could i have been a better person could i have done anything differently and and i don't think you can avoid that i think that that's I'm sure with your best friend, you know, you felt the same way after he was gone, you know, what could I have done differently to make those days brighter or to, to, you know, help him out of that hole or whatever. Um, and I think that's just the human nature. I think that, you know, even if I didn't have, uh, Judy with a constant chorus telling me that I'm wrong Mm -hmm. or that I did things wrong as a kid or as an adult or whatever, you know, that I still would have had some amount of, of regret and, and, um, you know, just wish things had gone differently. I mean, we were both, we were both dealt a pretty crappy hand. I mean, there's no two ways around that. Um, you know, and you can only do what you can do, I suppose. Well, the talking about the regrets though, you know, talking about my friend, his name was Joseph Madden is his name, by the way, but he, I'm sorry, you broke up there. What was that? His name was Joseph Madden. I just want to put, say that name to you so you can uh understand but he uh he he was trying to call me one night and i didn't answer the phone because i thought i was too busy or something and he i didn't talk i never talked to him again and uh, right then he got killed that's exactly it and so it's like regrets are like you know what can you do but you know what the best thing you can do is keep doing what you think he would have liked for you to do and, and make somebody else smile, make somebody else happy and, and find somebody yeah. kind of like him that you could help out or do something for right? Well, and that's, that kind of is where I was with Ben. Like, uh, you know, my relationship with Ben Keo, um, was very much like that. And when he came into my life, I saw a young Corey and I, you know, kind of was like, I mean, we, the first time we met, we gave each other the biggest hug like as if it was Corey coming back to hug me. Oh, wow. And I told him right then and there, I said, man, I, I see Corey in your eyes. Wow. I don't know what it is, but I see Corey in your eyes. He's like, that's really weird. And I'm like, yeah, that is really weird. <laughs> and he's like, but I do feel like I've known you forever. And I was like, yeah, I feel the same way. And we just had this instant connection. It was the strangest thing. And then the fact that I lost him so young, you know, as a friend, uh, it really, really messed me up, you know, and that's, I think, why I felt inspired to write Beautiful Soul, because it was like, here we go again. Like, how many times do we have to lose this this magic of this beautiful young soul that, that has so much to offer the world and, and has so much love in their hearts that, that, that you know, I don't know. It, it's just so tragic. It really is. There's nothing worse than than losing someone young that's that's got a great future and great potential for themselves and and you just know that you know it's because the people around them didn't do the things they should have done you know to 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 make sure that they felt special or to make sure they knew that they were loved and and you know and and like you said you know you can't beat yourself up i feel the exact same way i mean with Corey, you know going back to that there was a weekend right before he passed away that I could have invited him to. And he was upset with me that I didn't invite him. And, um, you know, at the time it was like, well, you know, it just, it wasn't the right situation, you know, but you'll be at the next one. No big deal. 
you know, and then you find out there was no next one, you know, Um, but the one thing about our relationship that I guess kind of makes it all okay, uh, was the fact that the very last time we looked in each other's eyes, you know, he said something to me that was so powerful and so meaningful that I'll never forget it. And what that was, was he was, you know, he kind of grabbed my hand and we had this kind of secret handshake we did. And he grabbed my hand and he looked in my eyes and he said, um, thank you. And I said, for what? And he said, for showing me the world through your eyes. It's a beautiful place. And I'm glad I got to see it. And that was almost like he knew. Yeah. You know, I don't know how, but that's... (laughs) that's literally the words he used to me and you know and we had this big hug and that was it and then we spoke on the phone a few times after that but i never saw him again wow and that's you never know that's why you should always be the best friend to everybody you can you know you never know that's right that's right well uh well i thank you so much for uh talking to me today it's it's like a dream man to have oh, Corey film. I mean, but really, man. Well, I appreciate the support and I thank you for taking the time. And I'm really glad to hear that you're enjoying the, the album. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I know you probably didn't get the whole box, so you haven't seen all the right. incredible artwork or the, the video stuff that goes along with it. But let me tell you, it's, it's an incredible scrapbook for any fan of the 80s and 90s you know right. along with of course a great new album but <laughs> let me just poster myself no i'm joking um yeah i'm proud of it but i think that the real treasure in this this box set is the great memories that people will have when they get to put this stuff on for the first time yeah or is how many is going to be available is it going to be a lot more out there only 500 or? only 500 okay so yep, they need to act now edition. Uh, it's a very expensive thing to make, you know, and, and with the economy being what it is right now and people struggling, you know, look at we're, we're having a hard time. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'm constantly finding myself putting it on sale <laughs> to get the numbers moving, but those sales prices are killing me. Yeah, so, right, right. you know, well, they should, uh, but they we want to make sure we get them into the hands of as many people as we can. Uh, because it is a great piece of art. I believe, I think we've created a really beautiful, um, really beautiful box, a really beautiful package and all of it from the artwork, you know, that was done by the original artist, Howard Tiemann, who came back and, you know, did new art for us to the, the graphic art, which was done by, you know, uh, a Grammy award nominated uh, uh, artist and, and, and who also was part of the first album. So it's not like I just pulled, you know, random people and said, Hey, why don't you come do this for me? Right. These were people that have been involved with my music, since 1990 right and you know they came back and they 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 gave meaningful contributions to this project along with of course a cast of new people that weren't involved like don Dawkins and you know curtis young and, and mickey thomas who even though we worked together in 1987 or 1988 we had never actually sang together we would never done anything musically together so this was like a great opportunity for that so you know, again, it's just, it's the nostalgia factor, yeah. I think, is through the roof on this thing. So I really hope as many people get to experience it as possible. Well, I think, I think there a lot of people are going to jump on this because uh, it's really cool to have. And especially if, if they love the actor 
Corey Feldman, they're going to love the musician and they're going to just say, hey, I got to have this thing. I think it's going to happen. And then, you know, the, I agree. You know, and not only that, but then again, there's also things when you just go to the acting side of it that and I don't know if you even know this, but like there's like an interview on the set from Jason Robards, oh. you know, from Dream a Little Dream, okay. where I had done a concert one day, you know, for the extras to keep them in the in the seats during the theater scene, yeah. and uh, and so they interviewed Jason and asked him about what he you know what he thought about my musical performances, oh, and what wow. he thought about me as an actor and as a singer and as a dancer and stuff like that, which nobody's seen, cool. you know, cool. um, and I've had it in the vaults all these years, and we're finally releasing it. so so things like that, which tie directly back to those movies and to those places and i think that's going to be the real charm of it for for people like yourself who are, are going to just take a deep dive into nostalgia yeah for sure i, I think people are going to be excited about it and i can't wait to tell everybody and post this and oh, show thank everybody you so much I, I can't tell you how much i appreciate your support and uh it means the world to me so thank you so very much well you're welcome and i'm i'm hoping and praying and wishing the best for you and i do believe good things are going to come for you man Oh, thank you so much. Well, from your lips to God's ears, my friend. All right, man. Well, take care, and I hope to talk to you again one day. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, man. All right, bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of Real Music. If you'd like to help out and support this podcast, you can do so by clicking on the support button and giving any amount that you like. And I appreciate it so much. Thanks for all those who have been giving in the past. It means a lot to me. And until next time, everybody, whatever you do, keep the music real.